Welcome to Energy Solutions, a podcast from the Electric Power Supply Association, where we showcase the voices and stories behind America's changing electric grid. I'm your host, Todd Snitchler, EPSA's president and CEO. Like every part of the United States, the Western states are grappling with how to secure reliable and cost-effective power while pursuing emissions reductions and managing changing weather. Last summer, extreme drought and heat put pressure on hydropower and other sources, making the grid increasingly dependent on wind and solar that can't operate 24-7. This summer, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation says the West is among regions that could face electricity shortfalls if temperatures spike. Many are calling to further integrate the Western power grid and expand organized power markets and competition among states, saying it will increase reliability and help bring cleaner, cost-effective electricity to the residents of California, Colorado, and other neighboring states. In the latest development, Cal ISO, the California grid operator, has proposed developing what it calls the extended day-ahead market, which would allow more participants to buy and sell power on a day-ahead basis, with potential savings of $543 million to $1.2 billion per year, emissions reductions, and reliability benefits. This episode's guest is Scott Miller. Scott is Executive Director of the Western Power Trading Forum. It's an organization of companies involved in providing power to Western states that all advocate for competitive market rules. I asked Scott to join us to share what the outlook is for reliability in the West this summer and what the state of play is for expanding markets. Good morning, Scott, and thanks for joining us. Um, As you know, you are the executive director of the Western Power Trading Forum. And for those that maybe are not as familiar uh, as they should be, tell us what the WPTF is and what you're doing. Sure. Um, Well, WPTF has been around since the late 90s um, when uh, wholesale and retail competition started in California. Wholesale competition, of course, have been going on in some form on the bilateral scale in the West quite a bit. Um, initially, it was uh, mostly a, a band of uh, married participants, um, mostly IPPs and power marketers um, who were interested initially in the California ISO, but also what was then anticipated to be RTOs across the West. Um, it's fluxed and grown um, over the years, depending on what's been going on. Of course, there was the California energy. Well, it was a Western energy crisis, quite frankly. Right. And interestingly, it grew then. Um, We're now uh, about 115 members, um, and they include our traditional IPPs and power marketers and uh, retail uh, marketers, but they also include CCAs, um, public utilities. We've got BPA that's a member, LEDWP, several IOUs. Um, and they transact in all states in what in the WEC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the main thing that they now that the West is so interested in an integrated market, um, they're interested in the information that we provide. But as always, we're an advocate for competition, and uh, our board members are entirely composed of uh, entities that don't serve rate-based uh, load. Got so. It. Um, while we've got a lot of uh, a lot of utilities that are members, um, uh, we're we're at heart all about competition, which is no surprise to regular listeners of this podcast that we are simpatico when it comes to that issue. And as we're recording this uh, 
this episode. We're coming up on Memorial Day, uh, the official start of the summer season. And last summer, as you know better than most, we saw a lot of headlines about extreme weather, heat and drought, and all the stress that that was putting on the Western power system. And as you're prognosticating or looking ahead to this summer, could you elaborate on what both you see coming this summer and what are some of the unique challenges that the West faces that maybe aren't common in the Eastern RTOs? Well, let me start with the latter part first, um, because uh, the West has, as we found out during the uh, energy crisis in 2000, 2001, is very, uh, is is not, I wouldn't say hydro dominated, but heavily influenced by hydropower. Sure. This is true, uh, of course, with the Bonneville, WAPA, WAPA is the Western Area Power Administration. The Pacific Northwest, uh, Columbia River systems, but also California has a tremendous hydro uh, system. And then, of course, there's the lower Colorado system that includes Glen Canyon and Hoover Dam. Um, but And so that's kind of what makes the West unique and probably provided the initial pushback back in the early 2000s to rolling into an RTO. But it also has traditionally been, it's it's a very, because the population centers, they're dominated to be on the coast, mm-hmm. yet there are a lot of thermal and uh, plants that were uh, in the interior west. Uh, and the transmission system, of course, was uh, much more uh, radial than, uh, than, than it has been in the in very interconnected east. Um, it's kind of interesting that the, inter- the interest in uh, integrated markets has more to do with the fact that, like, we need to utilize the transmission system yeah. that we've got to a greater extent. And that's why people are interested in, in a network dispatch of, a, of an integrated market. But as we look forward to this particular summer, um, we're in a slightly different situation than we've been in the last couple of summers. We had, as many people may know, fairly robust uh, precipitation mm-hmm. uh, from January on. This is particularly the case in California, in the in the Sierras, a fair amount in the Rockies, uh, particularly in, in the part of the Rockies that serves the lower Colorado system. Had more of an average year in the Pacific Northwest and almost a very arid year in what I'll call Western Canada, British Columbia, Alberta. And you always have to think of all these different pieces mm-hmm. When you say hydro in the West, it's not like, oh, God, God they got a lot of uh, precipitation in California. Well, that's good. And, and we started to see how that's benefiting other people uh, because we had our first heat wave in the West right. this last weekend. And uh, California Hydro helped offset uh, some of the uh, needs to run thermal plants and, uh, and uh, was was there just as nuclear plants are coming back from refueling. So yes. the the one, th- and so we anticipate that we should be in a better situation than we were last year. Of course, you never know how you get towards the end of the hydro year, the end of August, early September yes. when it's still hot. And if you get a west-wide heat wave like we did in August, 2020, and if it's prolonged the way it was in September of last year, we could be in a challenging situation, but for now, things look better than they were before. Yeah, it's interesting that it is fairly significantly different than many of the Eastern RTOs. I mean, we just don't have that level of hydro participation uh, in the East. For for purposes of making sure that people know how we're defining the West, it might make sense for you to explain where your area of responsibility would cover. 
Sure. As most people listening to this podcast will know, um, the, the, the United States is divided into, well, at least the lower 48, yeah. uh, are divided into three electrical systems, uh, interconnections. It's the east that essentially goes almost from the Rockies over to to uh, to the Atlantic. The ERCOT, of course, sits by itself. And uh, and then our system and what my uh, uh, my organization and our members are concerned with is that area basically just east of Denver, what we call the front face of the Rockies, all the way out to the Pacific Ocean, but also up into uh, British Columbia and Alberta. Mm -hmm. Um, That is the Western interconnection and a little bit of Tijuana. (laughs) <laughs> Perfect. I think that will help those that maybe aren't as well-versed as to what we're talking about. So yeah. as we've talked about some of the challenges historically and how you're viewing this coming year, what are some of the common themes or the common issues that are driving some of the reliability concerns in the West? Well, it's it, it depends on your perspective about like whether this is a problem or an opportunity. I mean, certainly any transformation, you, you, you run to sometimes the ragged edge of reliability as you're moving from one resource mix to another. To be honest with you, uh, the renewable integration began probably in the West about the same time it began in ERCOT, but it really began in earnest because uh, the West does not have as formidable a transmission system as ERCOT does. Uh, ERCOT, of course, built out uh, their transmission system right before they went to wholesale competition but uh, there were significant wind initially uh, penetration, particularly in the Bonneville, Columbia Gorge area, and of course, California, because California has been pushing on the renewable string for a very, very long time. Yeah. And uh, it began when I was on FERC staff at the time, and uh, we got some renewable uh, owners of renewable resources, wind resources that came in and were greatly annoyed at being curtailed by Bonneville. Um, and at WAPA. And they came to FERC and and sort of said, hey, we want some relief on this. And FERC uh, began looking into the Federal Power Act and realized that through its responsibilities for reliability, it did have some sort of jurisdiction over the grid that concerned uh, Bonneville and WAPA Mm -hmm. and uh, began enforcing some new rules as it pertained to curtailment of wind. That, I think, began an interest in what can we do with this this production of wind when it's exceeding what our needs are and the needs of the system. Um, And then it began, as people began to rely on that, uh, as we ran down that string and and it began to become more prevalent, and even in places like Washington and Oregon um, and Wyoming, there's a lot of wind in Wyoming. And and okay, what do we do with this power? And that's when the interest in the uh, energy imbalance market with Kaiso began. Yep. This uh, Pacific Core, which of course is the largest transmission owner in the West, uh, decided that it wanted to do something with this on a real time basis. And that's when Kaiso and Pacific Core began in 2013, 2014. Uh, the energy imbalance market, which was a place to sort of take excess megawatts. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you were short megawatts, you could possibly in real time buy. And, and so that became uh, a, a, an opportunity. Then uh, because of various policy procre- uh, requirements in various states, thermal assets started to be retired. Hydro 
whether you want to call it climate change or just bad luck, uh, hydro became less predictable. Sure. And suddenly um, everyone understood that the contract path or intuitively they began to understand that the contract path method of transacting and using the transmission system, which of course places artificial limitations on use of the transmission system, was not helpful to the situation. And so people began to look for ways to better utilize the transmission system. And I remember I was still on FERC staff and we thought, oh great, this is gonna lead to a Westwide RTO. Uh, we're struggling with that for, for various reasons that we can get into later. Uh, but there is this strong desire to better integrate what had mm -hmm. been a very sort of, this is my territory. Yeah. And, and this sort of desire to keep it my territory has to do with another aspect of the West, which is unique. And that is the, the prevalence of public power, which is yep. generally speaking, non-jurisdictional to FERC. Right. You have a huge amount of, of things like public utility districts in Washington, uh, munis like LEDWP, uh, special uh, irrigation and other type units like Salt River Power down in Arizona. Like I said, WAPA and Bonneville. Nearly 50% of the load is not jurisdictional to FERC, nor is it jurisdictional to any state uh, utility commissions. Right. Um, and, and so... That was fine until when you could take care of yourself and suddenly everybody realized that they sort of needed each other. Right. So it's interesting that you have added another layer of complication, which I think is important as people think about, you know, what is happening in the West. So it feels like there's been some incremental progress moving towards the energy imbalance market. And now there's a lot of conversation around how do we make the next big step to a Western RTO? And the states seem to be driving a lot of that, or at least are actively engaged in the conversations around expanding that. So I guess help help us understand, you know, kind of the whys, but also how will customers benefit or how will this also work to improve reliability concerns? I think you touched on that a little bit, but I think, you know, help us understand with that unique structure of the West, the way it's different with the, you know, large portions of the service territory, for lack of a better description, not regulated by FERC or by state PUCs, you're kind of putting a different kind of patchwork together. So kind of walk us through that. It's it's a little complicated, but I know you're the one that can help us sort it out. <laughs> well, I'll give him a good shot. Um, I think your characterization of the states is, is, is mostly accurate, uh, but it depends on the states. I mean, certainly okay. um, Oregon and Washington, Nevada, um, Arizona, um, uh, New Mexico, these are states, and Utah, quite frankly, have been very, very interested in uh, regional integration. Um, California has recently woken up to the fact that they um, uh, need to be integrated in the rest of the West. If you'll pardon me a little bit of a side, California has always been a net importer. Yeah. Um, but uh, if anybody's an old movie buff and they've ever seen a streetcar named Desire, that had Marlon Brando, but Vivian Lee in this great uh, 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 role where she was Blanche Dubois, uh, the pain in the butt sister-in-law, mm -hmm. who one time has a famous line that I think describes California very well. She said, I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. Mm -hmm. And California relies on the West an awful lot. Yeah. And California's happy to serve that because that's where the load is, that's where the money is. Sure. Um, you have other states uh, like Wyoming and Montana 
And this is driven by a variety of factors, uh, politics, but also attitudes on renewables, where they're less interested in it, but they're also interested in reliability. Right. And this is this is where the two can meet if you if you if you articulate it properly. An integrated market we found in the West is necessary um, to to meet reliability. First and foremost, that's what people really became interested in because they knew that they needed to move megawatts and they needed to uh, they needed to be able to access it. And when they were doing it on the traditional contract path methodology, um, we all know. Let's leave aside the issue of whether or not you get uh, permission from neighboring utilities to get the right. transmission. Um, um, the the bigger issue is because you're trying to um, artificial create uh, this artifice of making it contractually look like a natural gas pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're trying to contract as if you're going in one direction. We all know that electricity. Uh, goes along the path of least resistance as opposed yep. to um, gas molecules just going, you know, as they're compressed in a certain yep. direction. Um, to maintain this fiction, uh, you are going to contract, but because electricity naturally affects systems next to them, you would artificially limit the capacity of the transmission system so that it wouldn't overload your neighbor's system. Um, and so as a as as a consequence, you weren't utilizing the transmission system to its maximum effect. And when you're in in an area such as the West, which the last four years have been probably the most uh, resource constrained region in the country, you really need that transmission system to move what what generation you've got. And so this is the nexus point where people are interested in markets for uh, integrating renewables, but people are also interested in, who don't give a hoot about renewables are interested in the tra- in the market integration and full use of the transmission system for reliability purposes. Mm-hmm. And this has been, you know, so you may, must make sure that you have this common lingua franca uh, when you're discussing this. And but in the West, because there is some suspicion of things like centralized capacity markets. <laughs> yes. Um, and 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 we've all watched from the West the sort of capacity market fatigue that's going on in the East, uh, which is having an effect on regulators. Um, and we don't like we need the regulators, so let's not annoy them unnecessarily. And quite frankly, we are fine with having a bilateral capacity market, um, which we call resource adequacy. Mm -hmm. Um, There is also a suspicion, and this has occurred in in regions across the country, about uh, interconnection procedures done regionally. uh, uh, I think the one thing that I would like for us to adopt that they've got in the East in the RTO structure is is transmission planning. Mm -hmm. But of course, in the West, uh, they're planning on doing it through another another organization, a couple of organizations, uh, Order 1000 organizations. And so what we're left with right now is market integration. And this is an incremental step where we're going to build on the energy imbalance market, which is a real-time market, and then try to layer on uh, a day ahead market structure, which, which should replicate a network dispatch similar to an RTO while still each utility still has its oats in place. Um, so uh, that that has been a huge lift. And I will I will say that at first I was very skeptical about the ability to do this sort of thing. 
uh, I'm becoming more and more um, a fan of pushing in this direction because I think it's the way that we can get everybody to agree uh, to get to market integration to mm-hmm. lead to a network dispatch while still allowing each each area to try to tinker on things like interconnection issues and transmission planning and we're doing resource adequacy in a in a completely different uh, different manner than the eastern RTOs are. Yeah, it sounds like I either need to extend you my condolences or my sympathies because you're dealing with a different set of issues, but really trying to address many of the same fundamental concepts. I mean, in the end, transmission isn't free. And if you can maximize existing resources and think carefully about how you're going to utilize what may need to be constructed, those are all important issues that are facing the East, but really are are facing the West as well, perhaps with a different flavor. So Uh, You kind of raised it a couple of times, so I'll just ask you directly, how do you reconcile this affirmative move towards the RTO or towards a market with the challenges that we're facing in the Eastern RTOs? Well, I think um, what it's done is is, uh, the one benefit the West has over the East is that it has been thinking about resource adequacy uh, more in terms of what each individual market player needs mm-hmm. uh, rather than relying on a centralized capacity market, uh, which, which I, it, like I said, I was, unfortunately, I was at PJM when Andy I came up with uh, the, uh, the RPM. The RPM is short for Reliability Pricing Model, another name for PJM's capacity market, which works to procure reliable power years in advance which uh, theoretically is, is a beautiful model. Um, the difficulty is, is that when you run into different states' uh, policies, uh, it becomes a little bit problematic to try to come up with a centralized market structure that satisfies everybody. And the big issue with capacity has always been, in my estimation, for now having done this 25 years, is we all know we need it. Um, and we all may even know that, generally speaking, what the level of capacity we need is. It's always pricing it is the big mm-hmm. issue. Um, and so, if you do it on a, if if you agree on what the levels uh, that everybody needs to have, and and that that people have to sort of come to the market and show their capacity, uh, which is the first step in the was now the Western Resource mm-hmm. Adequacy Program. Um, uh, it's the first time the West has ever dealt with uh, uh, resource adequacy on, on a regional basis. Um, then you can settle it on a bilateral basis. Um, and, and therefore, the price becomes something between counterparties rather than through, uh, let's face it, the administrative construct of, of a centralized capacity market. Now, I know that there are differences of opinion on that. That just happens to be my viewpoint. Sure. And that's consistent with what they've been doing historically. So it's probably a level of comfort that can be more readily achieved than starting from a whole different perspective. So what would you say the state of play is and what would you say the remaining hurdles are to get from where the West is to having that Western wide or, or an RTO that is encompasses large parts of the West? Um, well, I, I, I want to try to not be overly optimistic because uh, as somebody who's been pushing on markets for 25 years, yeah. I felt the need to be an optimist. Otherwise, I never would have survived. Um, the direction certainly is in one of market integration in a Western, in a uniquely Western way um, that 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 may ultimately get to, uh, I would like for us to get to 
one or more RTOs mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, where uh, there's an RTO filing at, at FERC, which means a single tariff. Yep. Um, what we do think we're going to get is two, two market structures in a day ahead, real time market structure that will be based on an SPP offering called Markets Plus. Um, and Kaiso's offering, which is an outgrowth of the energy imbalance market called the extended day ahead market. Uh, the issue, I think, will come down to there's tremendous momentum behind the um, SPP Markets Plus approach. Right now, uh, Kaiso's EDAM uh, looks like it's Kaiso and Pacificor, and every people are waiting for Kaiso to file a tariff for this day ahead market, which is coming up pretty quickly. And SPP Markets Plus is going to is aiming to file its its tariff for its day ahead market the end of this year this calendar okay. year and be in operation in uh, 25. ISO uh, in, uh, in operation uh, in 20 late 24 maybe 25. Um, so the the reality is I think that we'll get there. The boundaries of where they're going to be will be determined to some extent, I think, by is Kaiso is the California legislature going to allow Kaiso to change the governance yeah. such that it has an independent governance structure that other utilities will feel comfortable uh, joining that group. Kaiso is a very good market administrator, good grid operator, just as SPP is. It's not a matter of management. It's a matter of the political influence that can be submitted. Uh, and there, it, it, and I must must emphasize there is a difference between Kaiso Kaiso and California politics. Sure. Kaiso tries very very hard to play it honest. They do, however, have a, a governance structure that sort of we pushes on them a little bit. If Kaiso if Kaiso can get the independence right. I can see a large portion of the area around California being in the EDAM, uh, and then a large, the rest of the West being in SPP Markets Plus, uh, Bonneville probably being in SPP Markets Plus. Be interesting to see where Arizona goes, uh, Arizona and Mexico. Uh, Colorado will be in the SPP Markets Plus thing. And then, of course, it'll be up to both the market administrators and FERC to enforce some kind of joint operating agreement so that you can actually still transact across. Uh, The big challenge will be, are we able to, California's unique resource adequacy structure, can it function with the wider West resource adequacy adequacy structure? Uh, But we're getting there absent some sort of horrific experience like we experienced in 2000, 2001, or something like, uh, I don't know, there have been a couple of things in the East, like, you know, um, you know, green hat and stuff like that. Uh, I, I think we're going to get there in fairly short order, whether we get to a full RTO, I don't know. Right. 
I'm shocked to hear you say there's politics involved in the power industry. That's a that's news. Yes. To me. That's that's a stunner. So yes, but uh, Captain Renault, here are your winnings. <laughs> so you brought up the uh, the Western energy crisis of the early 2000s, and you have some deep experience there. So uh, I think the history around that is generally well known. But I'm also curious how someone who has your perspective and was so intimately involved in the investigations that went uh, into that both thinks about it. And then what lessons should we have learned and did we learn them? And are there things that carry forward into the situation we find ourselves either in the West or more nationally today from the outcome of that event? Um, yeah, um, I was, I, unfortunately, I walked in for my job on IPP, um, USGEN, which is pg National Energy Group, into FERC in July of 2000, and I was in charge of energy markets and knew uh, the first, the predecessor to OMLA. Okay. Uh, and they, they said, uh, here's here are 45 people you've never met. Uh, can you get an investigation done in 45 days? Uh, and we, I thought the staff put together, I, I'll say the staff because I just helped oversee it with Andrew Wolfman from OGC. Um, I thought they did a very good job in creating an, uh, a historical analysis of what had transpired, what the problems was. The problem is everybody has their own narrative. Sure. Um, and, and, and when you go out west, in particular California, it was evil market doers. Well, uh, it, the reality was it was a little more complicated. It was a bad market design that relied on the spot market. Uh, California, uh, for political reasons, uh, made it very, very difficult to transact in terms of long-term market, uh, long-term contracts. Um, uh, there was the, the um, um, there was a bad hydro year that year. The economy was running super hot. It was, you know, the end of the dot-com era. Um, and as a consequence, because Kaiso was a net importer, the rules for Kaiso only applied to, to trend generators that were in Kaiso. So it created an incentive for what people would call market uh, manipulation. Uh, for uh, California decided to deal with um, scarcity uh, by lowering price caps. And of course, the, the problem was there wasn't enough power. Um, so they kept lowering the price cap. The problem was the price cap only affected power that was in California. So it provided a, 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 an incentive for somebody to take power outside California and bring it in underneath, you know, that didn't, yeah. where the price cap didn't apply. The reality is, and I understand why people perceive that as a market manipulation. The reality is if, if, if the ability to sell power at what was more prevailing market rate hadn't occurred, um, there may have been more blackouts than there were. Mm. Uh, now, um, that doesn't that doesn't mean that everybody who transacted that way was was behaving properly. And there were, as we found out, some very bad market participants. But it led to a twenty year litigation and a suspicion in markets in the rest of the West that persisted for a considerable period of time, mm -hmm. such that when the FERC tried to do standard market design, uh, it was absolutely uh, fought hard in the West, um, as we saw it was fought in the Southeast, yep. of course, too, with its very powerful congressional delegation. Um, 
And but it created a narrative that was essentially anti-market for a considerable period of time. And we still hear echoes of it. I would say that one of the problems was we were naive in those days. We thought that electricity was a commodity. We were trying to commoditize it. The reality is nobody, it, it may be from a strictly economic standpoint, but the, the, but nobody perceives it as a commodity. Sure. We have to recognize it, it is, it's not deregulated. It's not treated the way natural gas or oil is. Uh, that, that there are certain public perceptions on this and that we have to, we, we always have to sort of do what's necessary to try to either keep, keep the, uh, the policymakers involved but recognize that 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 there are sometimes maybe compromises in our market ideals that will have to be done. I'll, I'll give you one example. Back in the day, I I uh, I worked at the situation and I was non-decisional, which meant that I could talk to anybody, and I talked to damn near everybody uh, from governor's office in California on down. And it came to me early on that there was a deal to be made uh, that 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 the the People who own generation needed to find some sort of deal, um, yeah. and you needed to find, but you needed to find the politician who could gut, cut the deal. And in those early days, you might have been able to, but you got to move early. We could have reached out to the AG in California. Uh, the better person may have been somebody like Diane Feinstein or somebody like that to cut a deal because the politics were rapidly moving in the yeah. governor's office towards let's find a boogeyman and let's blame it on FERC and the evil out-of-state generators. And yeah. so uh, just beware of the politics as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, there are some great lessons that linger, I think, with that. So with that kind of as background, are there any energy issues that you're watching in the West, not necessarily specifically related to that, but more broadly uh, that are issues that you're paying attention to? Yeah, I'm 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 wondering um, how as, as somebody who uh, I you know I believe that climate change is real and I believe that there are uh, there's a need to make um, the transition to um, cleaner uses of of the grid. Um, but I uh, like many people, I worry about where the ragged ed occur, occurs and whether or not we can we can make it work in time. Um, uh, I. I the politics of the coastal West versus the interior West is always a concern, uh, particularly as we go through this market integration. We've got to be very, very careful about that. Um, you can't appear to be overly one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 you know, the middle is the middle is, is and, and compromise is, is is something that is not necessarily in in highly valued in our political debate. But I, I think that as we deal with politics. In, in with electricity, I think uh, an appreciation for the middle ground and compromise is something that we need to be very aware of. Yep. Um, but you know, uh, the and, and an energy transition will happen. But I I do worry that we are getting to the point where we're going to have uh, near zero uh, marginal cost units dominating, particularly the day uh, the daily dispatch. That's fine. That's understandable. The question then becomes, what do you do and how do you compensate the dispatchable resources that you need? Now, I do hope that one of our members, UAMPS, is very, very close to getting a PPA uh, for a small modular reactor in Idaho. Things like dispatchable units that are zero carbon like that, I think, are, are things that hopefully will begin to deploy in greater numbers. 
But for the foreseeable future, we're going to need things like natural gas. Yep. But how do we compensate for them? And Jan Smutney Jones, my colleague in California, has often referred to California as the canary in the coal mine. Now it's beginning to look like ERCOT in California. Interesting, yeah. the, the two, politics of those two, two states. They're in the same place, though. Yeah. Uh, the, but, you know, so we're going to need the natural gas, but are these things going to be around? Because they're not necessarily going to be compensated in the energy market. I don't know in resource adequacy if, if it's structured in such a way because we need to get to a place, I think, where uh, resource adequacy and capacity has always been about uh, megawatts, regardless of where they are. Now, you may differentiate them based on an ELCC, yeah. you know, effective load carrying capability. Um, but I, 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 we're going to have natural gas plants sitting around that aren't run very often. And that's good news from an environmental standpoint, but you want them to be around. Is there some sort of differentiating um, 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 market structure or not a market structure, a mm -hmm. compensation structure necessary for that? I don't know. It's a difficult conversation to have, but it's probably one that we need to have. And that sounds wildly consistent with some of the conversations in the East as well. So lastly, let me just ask you, what are some of the current or emerging technologies that you see that hold some promise for Meeting future energy needs maybe are deployable in the West. You mentioned some small modular reactors perhaps being piloted in the West, but are there any things that are are happening in the West or more broadly that you're really excited about? Um, I am excited about uh, small modular reactors, of course. Um, I'm also uh, increasingly interested, and I, I don't know to what degree I would call myself optimistic, but interested in how um, renewable um, hydrogen uh, mm -hmm. production uh, could be used uh, to repurpose our natural gas, uh, our natural gas fleet. Uh, the, uh, it was funny, I was at a Clean Energy Buyers Association meeting in Seattle last week and somebody mm -hmm. mentioned, he goes, oh, how about pumped hydro? And I was like, yeah, if you find the land and right. you're able to permit it, good luck. Um, I, I, I remain hopeful that uh, legislation on Permitting will uh, alleviate some of the roadblocks because permitting transmission is always going to be a pain. And it's it's particularly difficult in the West because there's so much federal land mm -hmm. and that falls under the Bureau of Land Management, tribal issues and things yep. like that. Um, but I think one of the, the things that's unique in the West that I'm, I'm kind of optimistic about is uh, there's this sort of... Uh, uh, customer-based approach to uh, transmission builds. We're about to build a bunch of transmission uh, in in the in the sort of uh, Wyoming area to move wind down into California, okay. uh, which has been going on. They've been working on that for 15 years. Um, and uh, West Connect and uh, Pacific Core looks like it's fairly close on its gateway project. But then there's the Sun Zia project that's moving, going to move a lot of uh, solar out of New Mexico into through Arizona and into uh, uh, California. Um, the transmission system is something that definitely needs to be expanded um, in the West, whether or not we fully utilize it the way that we hope to, uh, because of the sparseness of the population, we've needed to expand it. Sure. But that's a unique way that the West has been doing it. It's 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 sort of a subscriber-based approach to transmission that in some ways kind of looks like big, you know, interstate yeah. 
gas transmission lines. Um, and it, it's it's putting pieces together. And in some ways, it's going to realize um, outcomes that may be faster than they've done in, in the East. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't need some permitting uh, reform and legislation. Sure. We certainly share that position because without it, I don't know how anything is going to get done. And I right. we ensure reliability with some of the challenges that are, are right. on the horizon. So, Scott, you've been very generous with your time this morning. Thank you very much for visiting with us and for participating. It's always nice to have a different discussion than some of the same things we talk about in the <laughs> East. So it's good to hear that progress is being made in the West and that challenges exist, but parties are interested in trying to solve the problems because I think in the end, that's what we're all trying to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's. Uh, I think we're moving in a good direction and it's, and it's one where everyone's trying to be cognizant of, of everyone else's equity issues, but... At the moment, it feels it feels like uh, good, good, good cooperative progress in the West. Great. Well, thank you, Scott. We appreciate your time. Hey, thank you. EPSA supports efforts to expand competitive markets and integration in the West. Other areas of the United States have seen significant benefits from RTOs and ISOs. Western states should have access to the cost savings, reliability, and innovation that organized regional energy markets provide. You can learn more about the WPTF and Western power issues at WPTF.org. And we're always covering the state of electric reliability and solutions on our website at EPSA.org. Thanks for listening to Energy Solutions. If you like this episode, please share it on social media or with your coworkers, friends, and family. You can also connect with us on Twitter at EPSA News and on LinkedIn and subscribe, follow, leave a rating or comment on Spotify, Pandora, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Energy Solutions is brought to you by the Electric Power Supply Association. EPSA represents America's competitive power suppliers, which bring about 150,000 megawatts of power generation resources to customers throughout the United States. Discover the power of competition at www.epsa.org.